cut a covenant, it involved cutting. Now, originally the covenant was, when we think about the covenant of brotherhood or the brothers of the covenant, as it's spoken of uh, in scripture, um, it meant lifelong fellowship between those two people. And the mingling of the blood was the core of that. It was essential that this whole idea of bringing two people together in a mutual relationship. Now, over time, of course, that, that dropped away, this whole idea of you know, drinking someone else's blood, and um, it became a much more tasteful, I guess you can say, ritual for uh, the Jewish people and us as well uh, since then. Uh, even there were even places where uh, well we'll just take a look at one uh, Genesis 21 and this uh, this is going to be a lot of this will flex your Bible this morning here because we're going to do a lot of uh, a lot of turning of the pages in Genesis 21 just quickly and uh, verse 27 it is you remember this was the time when um, Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech. And down in verse uh, 22, it says, It came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me, that is, make an oath, that by God you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity. So you see the conditions of it is the longevity. It passes on down uh, to even his descendants. That according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me. Let's exchange this kindness. And the land in which you have dwelt, and Abraham said, I will swear. So this is really the foundation, the basis of establishing this covenant is mutual agreement on these two parties. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. Now there's a little issue came up that had to be settled before this covenant could be ratified. And so he says in verse 26, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard it of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. Now you notice again the giving of a gift. And he gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. That is, they made a treaty, a mutual agreement between the two of them. And so notice verse 28 then. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. And therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus, verse 32, they made a covenant at Beersheba. Now, the seven 
is a significant thing because it was the sign. It was the witness, Abraham said, regarding this covenant, that you will remember this and you won't forget the agreement that we have here. Now, in Easton's Dictionary, they describe a covenant like this. It's a contract or an agreement between two parties. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word bereft, bereft is always thus translated. It is derived from a root which means to cut, and hence a covenant is a cutting, with reference to the cutting or dividing of animals into two parts, and the contracting parties passing between them in making this covenant. And Fawcett's Dictionary is very brief. It just means, says it means to divide or cut in two a victim between the parts of which the covenanting parties pass. Um, Strong's Dictionary says um, that it, it, it literally means in the sense of cutting because made by passing between pieces of flesh. Now, I think we're familiar enough with that whole idea of a covenant. Uh, I want to look this morning at the various kinds of covenants that we see in Scripture. One of those in here in chapter 21 we've already looked at. You know, you had, in, in essence, you had kind of like two nations here. You had those represented by Abraham, which his was very small. He had an army of 300. And Abimelech. Over in Joshua chapter 9, you turn over there, we see another covenant that took place with the Gibeonites. And you remember that it was uh, ill-advised, of course, because they had not consulted in Yahweh regarding this, this covenant. Joshua chapter 9, and if you look at verse 11, it says there, Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, now this is the Gibeonites and their representatives speaking to Joshua and the people of Israel. And they said, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we uh, filled were new, and see, they are torn, and these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Now watch verse 14 here. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions. They took the moldy bread, they took the wineskins that were old and cracked and leaking. And it says, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So you see the statement following that, that in the taking of the bread and these wineskins was the sign that they were accepting the covenant agreement with the Gibeonites. And so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Well, later on they found out that they had been deceived. But you look down at verse 19. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. In other words, in spite of their deception, the covenant relationship held sway. 
and they were obligated to obey the conditions of the covenant. And what made them accept the covenant? They accepted their gift. Moldy bread and old wineskins. Really was not a very pleasant experience on Israel's part. Then um, you have covenants that were established between God and between men or mankind. If you'll turn back to Genesis chapter 9, we'll look at this covenant that God made with Noah. Genesis chapter 9, and we'll begin with verse 1. And it tells us there, Genesis 9, 1, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, and so on, the birds of the air, uh, and so on. Every moving thing, in verse 3, that lives shall be food for you, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Then if you'll look down to... Um, Verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Well, now, you stop and think about that. Noah and his descendants. That's everybody on this earth. This covenant has been established with them. And he says, and every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. So it's not just with men, but it's the entire living population of the earth. All the animals this covenant was established with. So verse 11, he says, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant. Now we had a sign with Abraham. It was the seven ewes that were given to Abimelech. Here's a sign here, and it's the rainbow. This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for, for, for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And you see between me and the earth, everything. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember. That was the, remember, a sign. It was to call to remembrance the established relationship between these two parties. With Abraham, it was with Abimelech. With God, it's with the entire earth. All of mankind and every living creature on the earth, he made this covenant. And he says, I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Now, <clears throat> again, the Jewish Encyclopedia made a statement here that I want to share with you. It says, God made a special co 
covenant with Noah and his sons, requiring them to preserve and show due regard for all human life while pledging the preservation of the order of earthly life for all generations. Why did he do that? Because in Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, that well-established order had been violated. And now there was disorder upon the earth. And God, through this covenant, brought order back to all life on the earth. Now, let's turn a few pages to the right, to Genesis chapter 15, and we find this familiar covenant that God made with Abraham. With Abraham, God entered into this special relationship with him regarding the promise of land. And there was a sign that went with this covenant also. Um, if you hold your finger there in Genesis 15 and turn over to Exodus 19, we'll probably mention this two or three times during the course of our study. In Exodus chapter 19, and beginning with verse 4, now, if you remember, Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments were given, so that helps you set the scene. All of Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're standing before the Lord. And in verse 4, he says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. All right. You see the word then? condition established to this covenant. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure. Keep that in mind as we progress. Verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, you got your finger in Genesis 15, right? Turn a couple of pages over to Exodus 24. Now, you remember here in this chapter 19, God was speaking to Moses. Moses then went to the people. Moses told the people, if you will obey God and do these things, then he will do these things for you. And he said, they all said, we'll do it. We'll keep the words of, of, of Yahweh. Well, now here in chapter 24, Yahweh speaks again. Verse 21, he says, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. So you see, they made this agreement. God gave them the law. 
verses chapters 20, 21, 22, 23. After giving them the law, now they repeated it again. We will obey Yahweh. Now look at verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read, read in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. That's three times they agreed to keep Yahweh's words. And Moses took the blood in verse 8, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. That was the sign. The sprinkling of the blood. He sprinkled it on it says the altar, and he sprinkled it on the people. Now, he didn't sprinkle it on three million people, but he sprinkled it on the religious leaders of the nation, which we, in a message or two back, we discovered that, sorry, that was on Wednesday night. You didn't discover that. But on Wednesday night, we discovered that the leaders were the representatives for the entire nation as we were looking at the passage in Isaiah. So, having said that, we see another covenant established, and it was a, there was a sign that went along with that covenant, and it was this sprinkling of blood. Now, I think, back to verse four. You also see that in verse 4, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Of course, pillars, again, were another established sign of an agreement between two parties. So this could take, in other words, we see so far that this could take several different forms. The basis of it all was the establishment of a permanency of relationship between the two parties. All right, now, having said all that, um, over to Exodus chapter 31. And we're gonna come back to, we're gonna come back to Abraham. Exodus chapter 31. Concerning the giving of the law, notice in verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths, plural, you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you or who, who set you apart, who consecrates you, who dedicates you. Now you see it's plural. There's more than one Sabbath. It was more than just every seventh day. But there were other Sabbath days in the law that were to be kept. They could fall on any day of the week. They didn't have to be on the seventh day necessarily. 
So, but notice verse 14. You shall keep the Sabbath. Therefore, for it is holy to you, everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Why? Because that was a violation of the covenant. Keep the covenant. This was the observable sign that they had at least every seven days to remind them about the covenant. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Of course, we see the, the condition for violating the covenant was death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. The Sabbath was a covenant. And it was the sign of the covenant that they had made earlier when they agreed to obey the words of Yahweh. Well, and then he refers back to the creation that on the seventh day, God rested. And so they were to tie those things together to realize there was something special about that seventh day. Now, with Abraham, back in chapter 15 of Genesis, it's a rather lengthy portion, but you remember there was a promise given of an inheritance of land he told uh, Abraham that there would be uh, descendants from him that would be as the stars of the sky. He said in verse 5, and he said, you can't number them, and so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him, that is his faith, he accounted his faith to him for righteousness. And then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Well, now Abraham wants to know, how am I, how am I going to know I'm going to inherit all this? Well, uh, God established this covenant with Abraham that we're very familiar with. He said, bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two. So we see the sign or the significance of the cutting again and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came, he drove them away. And now verse 12, the sun's going down. God takes over. And it says there that a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land and so on. Verse 14, he says, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. Verse 16, or excuse me, 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Say to your descendants, I have given this land. Now, there was no point in Abram being concerned about his descendants if he didn't have hope of resurrection himself and being a participant in that inheritance. 
And he was assured that his descendants would inherit that land through this covenant that he had made with him. Now, if you turn over to chapter 17, beginning at verse 1, Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and so on. And verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And he fell on his face and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, and so on. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Again, descendants, fruitfulness, multiply. Verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are presently, that is, a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Now, Abraham's response, verse 9, as for you, you shall keep my, uh, excuse me, God's still speaking to Abraham. He says, for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you. Verse 10, this is my covenant. Man, I mean, did you get it? Covenant, 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 covenant. Over and over. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. Every male child shall be circumcised. Another sign. A permanent sign of the establishment of this covenant relationship. Every child that's eight days old in verse 12, he says. And even he says in verse 13, well, in verse 12 and 13, he who is born in your house, that is every slave you have, must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Down in verse um, 15, God said, well, as for your Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, I will bless her and give you a son by her, and she shall be a mother of nations, and so on. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born to one who's a hundred years old, and so on. Verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, no, Sarah's going to have a child. And he says, I will establish my covenant with him. Well, the sign of the covenant, circumcision. You know, there's also a marriage covenant over in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Everybody loves it when you say Malachi because it's the last book of the Old Testament, so it makes it easy to find. Malachi chapter 2. <clears throat> by the way we're skipping over several things here um, like in verse uh, 4 then you should know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant with Levi may continue I didn't deal with that one but there, there was a covenant God made with the Levites um Verse 5, he says, My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. And so he feared me and was reverent before my name. But then in verse 14, 
He says, well, verse 13, he says, this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore. Oh, man. These nice, obedient Israelites going down to the temple, offering their sacrifices, weeping over the altar, crying, and yet he says he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And they said, why? How come? And he says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In the marriage relationship, if we understood the covenant relationship, we would have a whole different kind of relationship with our spouse. It's important. God was withholding blessing, and he was unaccepting of their sacrifice because of the relationship, the disjointed relationship that men were having with their wives. Verse 15 says, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. If we want godly offspring, then it demands that we have the right kind of relationship with one another. Now, what does it all mean to us? I want to wrap this up by going to Psalm, well, actually two Psalms, Psalm 49 and Psalm 50. And we don't have time to go through them, but I sure wish I did. Psalm 49 and Psalm 50. So we'll just have to hit the highlights here. In Psalm 49 and verse 1, Psalm 49, verse 1, it says, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. In other words, God is calling for the ear of all the inhabitants of the earth, everyone. Low and high, rich and poor. I've got something I want to say to you. And so he says then, in... Um, Verse 6, he says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Then he says down in um, verse 10, he says, For he sees wise men die. Likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own name. We know about that. We see that happen all the time, don't we? Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and their, and their posterity who approve their sayings. Like sheep, they're laid in the grave. In verse 14, death shall feed on them. On them, The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. You notice just one little brief reference to the upright and the victory that they will have. But everything else in this passage has to do with a call to the peoples of the earth to repent 
to consider their ways and the way they're living. And he says in verse 16, don't be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased, when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, though while he lives, yeah, in other words, descend after him into Sheol. Though he lives, while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, and they shall never see light. A man who is in honor, yet does not understand, is like the beast that perished. Now that's a condemnation of those who live according to the whims of the present cosmos, according to the ways of the world. Now watch what he says to God's own people in Psalm 50. He says, the mighty one, the God Lord, or excuse me, God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. In other words, God's coming in the person of his son, and in that coming is judgment. Now you say, well, I haven't saw that he's speaking to his people. What's well, coming? And it shall be, he says, very tempestuous around him that is around, around God because of this severe judgment. And so in verse four, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now, they, in that, we saw in Exodus 19, they had made a covenant with God and they had agreed, Israel had agreed to be obedient to the words of Yahweh and observe them. Every time they went down to the temple to make a sacrifice, that was intended to be a reminder of this covenant. And they knew that. So when they went and made this covenant, He's saying to those who have done this, call them together. Oh, we're going to see what's going to happen when he calls them together. Verse 6, he says, let the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judged. Now, here it comes, beginning in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull. From your house, nor goats out of your folds for every beast of the forest is mine and so on. I own it all. The cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I wouldn't need to tell you about it. But notice in verse 14, he tells them, Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is what his plea is to them. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. But now he says, verse 16, to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? 
they had they had taken God's covenant in their mouths they had agreed to be, live obediently what right do you have to do that seeing you hate instruction in verse 17 and cast my words behind you now watch the things they were guilty of he says in verse 18 when you saw a thief you consented with him that is you ran in partnership with him you consorted to with thievery you've been a partaker with adulterers and you give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit you sit and speak against your brother you slander your own mother's son these things you have done and i kept silent you thought that i was altogether like you but i will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes now consider this you who forget god lest i tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver so this is the severity of god's judgment on those who had agreed in this binding covenant relationship that was cut with an animal and blood was shed and they were reminded of it every time they offered a sacrifice and that animal died and blood was shed and it was taken by the priest to the altar and yet because of the wicked way of their living they were going to have to face judgment from Jehovah and just like in Psalm 49 where he had this one verse of encouragement for the upright and the righteous so he does so in this psalm in the last verse when he says whoever offers praise glorifies me and to him who orders his conduct aright I will show the salvation of God to be in a covenant relationship with the Lord meant that there was a binding relationship between these two parties or as the other language says a contracting relationship mutually agreed upon and to violate it was looked upon with very sore eyes and God would bring judgment on those who did not obey and who refused to keep the covenant now I realize we're cutting off at an inter kind of a dead spot we're going to take it up next week and we're going to talk about another covenant well actually two other covenant relationships that are of the utmost of importance to us let's pray father we we want to thank you for the things you've revealed to us in your word as we look at the matter of the covenant that has been so important to you in your relationship with israel and in your relationship with us that we would see the value and the necessity of upholding our part of the covenant by believing in you by praising your holy name by walking uprightly by treating our fellow brother the way the covenant relationship demands that we should and we'll thank you for all that you do for us in jesus name we pray amen